Well, we're beginning a new series of messages today on the Lord's Prayer. Six messages where we're going to be working together through the Lord's Prayer. And so I think it'd be very appropriate for us to pray as we begin. I'd invite you to bow with me. Kind Father, we bow in your presence. And we recognize that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. That you created all that there is. That you sustain all that there is. That the next breath we take is because you have granted that to us. We understand that relationship with you because you are pure and holy is based exclusively on what Christ has done for us. We sang about that early in the service, Lord, as we just lifted the words of Scripture and sang them to you. So we pray throughout this service, whether the part we've already moved through or what we're going to do now, may you be exalted. May you be lifted up. May your word uh, take residence in our life, not in a way where it's just um, residential in terms of knowledge, but rather transformative in terms of impacting how we do life. So we invite these things, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Many of you know that I grew up in the city of Regina, home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Some of you know that uh, when I was growing up in the city of Regina, Ron Lancaster was the quarterback of the team at that time. And it so happened that I was very good friends with his son, his eldest son, Ron Jr. And one day I was over at his house and we were hanging out together. I was about 12 years of age, and Ron Jr. said to his dad, Hey, Dad, how about if we go out into the yard and you throw the football to us and give us a few pointers on how to do this? And you have to know that if you're born in Saskatchewan, your first diapers that are put on you are green and white diapers, and you're considered an outright traitor to the province if you're not a Rough Rider fan, and to be a kid at the age of 12 with the chance to throw the football with Ron Lancaster, arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the CFL. Well, that was just, for me as a young kid, that was better than Christmas. So can you imagine if we were to go out into the yard to get ready to start throwing the football with him. And I was to say, I can't be bothered having this experience and learning from the master. I would have been right off my rocker, at least worse than I usually am. Now, I played catch with Ron Lancaster, the quarterback of the Rough Riders. And it's a memory I'll always have my entire life. I want you to imagine with me the great passion of your life. And if you had the chance to learn from someone who's the best in the world at whatever your particular passion is, would you pass on that opportunity? Absolutely not, right? You would engage in that opportunity and you would learn from that master the passion that you wanted to pursue. Well, the disciples had been watching Jesus, and they saw that he had a connection with the Father like no one else they knew. And they were drawn to this 
connection that he had with the Father. They saw it played out in his life in a way that was unique, in a way that was inviting. And the disciples recognized that there seemed to be a key component in the depth of this living relationship that Jesus had with God the Father. And it seemed to focus around the word, around the concept of prayer. And they had observed in the life of Jesus that his life was marked by prayer. And in scripture, we see evidence of this all through scripture. If you were to look in the book of Luke chapter 3, it says when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as you often hear us say, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you should be baptized. Jesus was baptized. The apostle Paul was baptized. They invite each person that's bowed the knee to Christ to be baptized. And it continues and it says, and as Jesus was praying... The heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus was praying, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then immediately after that, in Luke chapter 4, he heads off into the wilderness. And we're told that he spends 40 days in the wilderness, fasting and in solitude, and praying. When did Jesus pray? When his schedule was particularly demanding, especially. And his schedule, many of us think we have demanding schedules. His schedule was more demanding than any person that's listening to what I'm saying. And when his schedule was demanding, he would pray even more because he understood That in order to do what he needed to do, in order to know what he needed to do and what he needed to say, he needed to be in relationship and in prayer with his father. And as he prayed, the father showed him what to do and what to say. And if you're ever wondering about what should I be doing and what should I be saying and how should I be doing it, we discover these things in prayer. When Jesus began his public ministry in Luke chapter 5, it says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him. People were coming from all over Israel by the thousands to hear him. And it says, And to be healed of their sicknesses. And even though there's crowds of people clamoring to see him, it says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Because he understood that if he was going to have that kind of ministry, if he was going to have any kind of ministry or a life that honored God, it was seated in prayer and being filled with the Spirit. He prayed before big decisions. In Luke chapter 6, it says, One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And then the next day, he went out and he picked his leadership team of 12 disciples the 12 or 11 of which, at least, that he built the New Testament church on. And so if you're a business person here this morning or an HR person, when you have to make decisions about who to hire or who to fire, how much do you pray about that? Let me let you in on a little secret. I've had to hire a number of people in my day. And I do all the interviews, but much, much, much more important than the interview is this one question. God, what would you have me 
do? And that question is only answered in prayer. I was just chatting with one of our elders in recent days, and he was saying, just in the last couple of weeks, and he was saying to to me that, that in their business, they pray for the right customers. They say, God, send us the right customers. We're not just looking for any customer in our business. We're looking for the right kind of customers. And then he said, and God's answered that prayer. And we have some wonderful customers. Imagine bathing all the decisions of life, the big decisions of life, the littler decisions of life in prayer. Because this is where we discover what to do and what to say, just like Jesus did. Jesus prayed when he was hurting or disappointed. In Matthew chapter 14, we're told, when John the Baptist, his cousin, was beheaded because of the faith, that Jesus withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. He prayed when he was concerned about his friends. If you have a friend that you're concerned about, you should pray for them like Jesus did. It says in Luke 22, that Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you. He prayed when he faced his ultimate challenge in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was about to be betrayed and go to the cross for you and me. From the beginning, the people that were with him full time for three years observed something that was a constant in the life of Christ. He was a person of prayer. They had a front row seat to observe the greatest prayer who has ever prayed. And they saw him filled with the Spirit. They understood that he wasn't able to do what he was able to do because he was God. He wasn't able to do what he was able to do because he was a man that just tried really hard. He was a man who was filled with the Spirit, Scripture teaches us. The Spirit-filled God, man, based in a life of prayer. And because of that, he was filled with peace, he was filled with wisdom, and he had spiritual gifts and he had power. And when Jesus prayed, things happened. And they desperately wanted to know God the Father like Jesus did. And I have a sneaking suspicion that deep in our heart, This is how we long to know him as well. That we're tired of a lackadaisical type of Christianity. Of a humdrum relationship with God. And it's rooted in a life of prayer. And so it says in Luke chapter 11 that Jesus was praying, it says, in a certain place. And his disciples were watching of him. And one of them finally worked up the courage to say, Master... Would you teach us to pray? And Jesus was pleased to help them because he didn't want their prayer life. He doesn't want our prayer life to to flounder. He wants us to live a purpose-filled life, a life that has eternity stamped on it. And so we begin this series of messages six weeks together in the Lord's Prayer by each of us saying, and I'm going to invite you to do this. We're going to take a minute to just pray silently. And do you have the courage to pray this prayer like the disciples prayed? Lord, would you teach me to pray? 
Lord, would you teach me to pray? And so as we launch this series, let's take a moment and just pray individually that prayer. Let's do that. What he did, he taught them a model type of prayer that we often call the Lord's Prayer. And it wasn't so much about him giving them words to recite, even though there's great value in reciting and actually praying the Lord's Prayer. But it's that and more. And so if you have your Bible or your device, whether you're at home or here in person this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the passage Lindsay read for us earlier in Matthew chapter 6. It's the first book of the New Testament. And let's read the Lord's Prayer beginning in verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. It says, you know, they ask him, um, would you teach us to pray? And he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, for we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In the next number of weeks, I'd like to challenge you to pray this prayer every day for the next six weeks. And the reason I say that to you is I'm inviting you to allow this prayer to just soak deeply into your soul. To to say, Lord, teach me what you want to teach me from this prayer. The elements of this prayer. Because if you study the prayers of Scripture, there's remarkable similarity to the form of the prayers of Scripture. They have typically some common elements that we're going to discover together in these next weeks. And so I invite you, I challenge you to pray this prayer on a daily basis for the next six weeks. Let it sink deeply into your soul and may it be foundational to the way that we pray. Because we often have problems in our prayer life. I don't know about you, but I have some problems in mine as well. And sometimes we're nervous to pray. Sometimes we're not sure how to pray. Sometimes we have a who problem when we pray. We're confused about the nature of the one to whom we're praying. And we have this idea that God is an angry God or a disappointed God. And he's there just waiting to slap me with a ruler. Or we have a where problem. We're thinking, where is God? And we might think he's very far away and he's very distant. And how can I possibly get his attention? Or we might have a what problem. And we're thinking, I'm really not sure what to pray about. And so in this prayer, as Jesus taught his disciples, as Jesus teaches us, he's going to teach us about those kinds of issues. And today we're going to just look at verse 9, and he's going to say to us, listen, a healthy part of any person's prayer life is to incorporate what we're going to learn here in verse 9. And we often forget to do this. And so it says in verse 9, our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. And it sounds so basic, but we often forget to do this. And so it begins with our Father. And this is important because I don't know much, I don't know about you and how you pray, but if I look in my own life, 
Sometimes my mind wanders in prayer. Does that happen to you ever? It happens to me. I might be physically present, but my mind goes off on autopilot. And Jesus warns against this in in the verses that are directly in context. He says, beginning in verse 5 through 8, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees you, what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So he says, when you pray, don't babble like pagans who offer mindless prayers, who have just vain, empty repetition rattling off what they're saying. So let me just expand on this a little bit, what he's saying. You know, it's okay to pray short prayers. Sometimes a prayer is just help. Sometimes, and we're going to discover this, it's just great to cultivate a life of praying on an ongoing basis all through the day. And so sometimes somebody is sitting there with me and they'll say something and I'm not sure what to say and I just quickly pray. Lord, I'm not sure what to say here. Help me to know what to say to this person to point them to you. So sometimes short prayers are very good. But sometimes Jesus prayed very long prayers himself. So he's not saying in this passage, don't ever pray long prayers. We read earlier how he went and prayed for 40 days. We read earlier how he prayed all through the night before he chose his leadership team. At times, he would repeat himself in prayer sometimes. Read in Matthew chapter 26. Another time, he talked about the persistent widow who would go back and ask and ask and ask, and he aligned this with how we pray. He would pray most often alone in solitary places, but he also prayed in public. So he's not saying don't do any of these things. What he's saying in those verses is avoid meaningless, repetitive, empty prayers offered with the misconception that I can somehow badger God into what I want. That if I just pray long enough, if I just say it over and over again, magically somehow he's going to have to do whatever it is I say. And this kind of type of praying can can come in liturgical or written prayers, which I do. I pray liturgically sometimes. I pray written prayers. I will write my prayers sometimes. But most often, and most often in our sort of approach to how we typically do church. We pray extemporaneous prayers where we just pray off the top of our head. In both of those cases, we can degenerate into those first verses that I just read. Jesus is saying sometimes as Christians, our prayer life can just deteriorate into just sort of worrying out loud. And does that ever happen to you? It happens to me. Sadly, once in a while, I start praying and pretty soon I'm just thinking only about myself and I start worrying in my prayers. Jesus is saying when he says, our father, I want you to slow down. 
I want you to calm your busy mind. And I invite you to focus on this very important fact. I'm speaking to someone. In fact, I'm speaking to a holy someone. And when I say our Father, when I use his name, when I say kind Father, when I say dear Heavenly Father, when I say Lord, I'm making a comment about the nature of my relationship with God. And so with some people, we might say Mr. or Mrs. or Miss or Dr., we might use their first name. We might uh, call, you know, a, a real close friend. We might have a nickname for them. With a family member, we might have a pet name. But I really only have two people in my own life, in the world, that call me father. Usually they call me dad. And when I hear their voices on the phone, when it's Aaron or Sean, it gets my attention. And when they say dad, it puts the conversation in context. And any requests they have, any comment they make, it, it has a special place in my heart. It takes a life on its own because of the name Father. So Jesus in this chapter actually uses an Aramaic word, the word Abba, and it's a very tender word. Little kids would use it at that time. Some adults would use it. And it's like, but it's not exactly like, but it's like our word, daddy. The thing is, Jesus uses it, and he invites us to use it too. And God's heart, he's saying, listen, God's heart, God's response to you is this, Scott, you are my son. Or Louise, you are my daughter. And I love it when you set time aside to speak with me, with what, about whatever is on your heart. And I tune in especially to you when you call my name. And maybe whatever it is you're going to have to say involves sorrow that you're going through. Maybe it's joy. Maybe you're wanting to express thanks, which we really need to do. Maybe we need to confess our sin when we say, Our Father. And the prayer goes on to say, our Father in heaven. And we often have this idea that, fa- that heaven is just far away. You know, that it's just somewhere out there in, in outer space somewhere, floating around somewhere, you know, a bunch of clouds or whatever it is. But in the New Testament, the heavens are used, they're almost pictured like the atmosphere for the sky, for the air we breathe. And heaven is, is, is right at hand. And so Jesus is saying, understand when you pray that our Father is not a long, long way away in a galaxy far, far away. He's saying, our Father, God the Father, is right here with us by His Spirit, closer than the air we breathe. This is why Scripture says, in different places, we're never alone. When we are in relationship with God through our surrendered life to Christ, He's always with me. He'll never leave us or forsake us. So what posture do you use when you pray? I grew up in the tradition that, and possibly you did as well, that my head, when I would pray, we were encouraged, we were invited, 
that my head would be bowed and my eyes would be closed. And to this day, that's how I most often pray. I think there's real value in this posture, which is an outward expression of our inward heart, because it helps us to concentrate. It helps us to not be looking around at the things around us. And it's just this outward expression of humility when we bow our head. There's value in this. But understand that that's not how everyone prays or even how everyone prayed in Scripture. There was times people prayed like that. But also times when Jesus, it says in John chapter 17, looked up with his eyes open and he prayed into the heavens. There was times when Jesus, when he would pray, he would kneel down. There's times where people would lay down on their face on the ground before God in this act of great humility before God. There's times where people are encouraged in Scripture to pray with their hands stretched out. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, it says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. And so really what the Bible is saying is it's okay for your body to join your inward self, your outward body, allowed to be an expression of what's going on inwardly in your life, to help your mind and your heart turn towards God. And so personally, I do this at times, as I pray, as I sing, which is really when we sing is a prayer to God. You don't have to do it like I do it, and you shouldn't feel pressure to do it like I do it. And I do it sometimes, but not all the time. But when I'm praying... Sometimes, and and quite often actually, I'll pray with my hands like this as an expression, Lord, I am open to whatever it is you want to give me. I'm asking you to give me something, and I'm just literally illustrating it with my hands, open to whatever it is you want to give me. You know, just like a hundred years ago when we used to shake hands with people when we would greet them, doing that gesture is an outward expression of this desire to connect with that person. And this is really what we're doing in worship. Or when we lift our hands in praise like this, if that's what you do. It's really in this inward, I'm praising God and I want it to flow out of me towards him. Or if I posture my hands like this, Lord, like the sign of the cross, I'm willing to receive whatever your will is for me in life. When I'm praying for people, some frequency, I open my eyes and I look at them as I'm praying for them. See if God's doing something in their life as we pray. And you often see how to pray as you're watching. People go on prayer walks, physically and spiritually working out at the same time. Our Father in heaven. Then Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed, be your name. And we don't use that word hallow very often, do we? I can't remember the last time I heard that used in public. But really what it means is to attach appropriate value to someone or to something. To give honor where honor is due. To recognize his or its worth. And when we sang the Lord's Prayer earlier, it talked about holy is the name of God. And so much of what we've already done in this service is a prayer, whether it was an actual prayer 
like we would understand it, or the things that we sang, or the things that we read. As we sang, we were basically pulling the words of Scripture and singing them to God. And we are hallowing his name, valuing his name, exalting his name, praising his name. It's an incredibly important part of life. You know, this guy who was an expert in uh, antiques went into this antique store. And when he went into the store, he saw a cat drinking milk out of a saucer on the floor. And he got down close to the saucer and he saw that it was a very valuable piece of China that was created during the Ming Dynasty in China, worth a fortune. And he's thinking to himself, this guy in this antique shop has no idea what he's got sitting there. He's using this dish to feed a cat. And this is an opportunity of a lifetime to get something Uh, for very little money, because this guy has no idea how much that saucer is really worth. And so he goes to the owner, tries to be cagey, goes to the owner, and he says, you know, I really like your cat. I'd like to buy your cat from you. The guy says, well, I kind of like that cat. And the guy says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 500 bucks for your cat. And the owner says, well, I like the cat, but there's lots of cats out there so sold. And he sells them the cat. And the guy says, the customer says, but you know, I noticed that the cat really seems to like drinking milk out of that saucer, and so, you know, he's used to the saucer, so how about if I give you 10 bucks for the saucer so that I can use that to feed the cat? And the owner says, oh, no, no, I'd never do that because that's a Ming saucer from China worth a fortune. But it's the strangest thing. Ever since I started using it to feed the cat, I have sold 17 cats. We're all used to attaching value to things. But sometimes we see things of great worth. But appropriate value has not been attached. We don't recognize it for what it's worth. And this is especially true of God. The name of God, his person, his character are viewed inappropriately by many people. And Jesus says, If I'm going to teach you how to pray, this is something you need to be mindful of. And can I be honest with you? I hear a lot of people pray. And there's one or two things that I often, often, often hear them neglect to do. What we're talking about today is one of them. And we just jump over the idea of hallowing his name and being grateful, and we jump right to the things we want to ask God to do for us. And Jesus says, listen, a healthy prayer life incorporates, begins with hallowing his name. That as we pray, we need to spend time hallowing his name acknowledging the character of the God of the Bible, celebrating and praising his character, celebrating his actions, adoring him as holy and majestic. And yet at the same time, even though he's holy and majestic, he's also personal and loving. And that only the God of the universe could could, could do that, be holy and majestic and the one that created all that there is and yet at the same time he's not a distant God like the deists would say us, 
say to us, he is a personal God and he is a loving God. And so as we pray, this needs to be a very important integral part. In fact, I would encourage you to pray at times and say, I am just going to spend my whole prayer time, not all the time, but just once in a while, and all I'm going to do is praise God and acknowledge God in that prayer. And we do this by our words. We do this by how we live because our lives and how we live are really a living prayer. We ascribe worth to God. We honor God, not only by our words, but the way we live, which are really a living prayer. And as Jesus teaches us how to pray and how to be effective in prayer, a healthy prayer life begins with our Father in heaven, hallowed your name.